0: Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is New York Times bestselling writer, Matthew Quirk, author of the new novel, Inside Threat. Quirk's earlier novel, The Night Agent, is now a critically acclaimed and popular Netflix series, and Netflix has already renewed The Night Agent for a second season. Publishers Weekly wrote about Quirk's new novel, Inside Threat, Quirk masterfully ramps up the tension and paranoia as the body count rises, agents turn on each other, and Hill tries to suss out who is the greater threat, the traitors or the man he has sworn to protect. Matthew, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, if someone hasn't yet heard about your new novel, Inside
1: Threat, how would you describe the novel? Uh, The novel... I mean, generally, it's a throwback to some of my favorite kind of like grown-up action movies from the from the 1980s a little bit. Um, like, uh, you know, you can think of like Die Hard or um, In the Line of Fire. Uh, that's kind of the, the tone. And then a little bit of Agatha Christie thrown in because, you know, the setup is um, the president comes under threat and they lock him in this real-life continuity of government a doomsday bunker it's the size of like a small city really under a mountain in maryland near camp david and then once they close the doors he realizes he's locked inside with a threat and um so that that's the setup and um yeah so it's you know a mix of action and then a little bit of mystery in um who's behind it all because as soon as they get inside uh, you know a body turns up and then you're off to the races
0: do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to writing Inside
1: Threat? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was some start with characters, some start with premises. This was a premise-first book because I you know, I forget what it was. I think I had, years and years ago, somebody had said I should maybe adapt for screen a book, and nothing came of it. Um, but it was a book where... You know, some people are sort of trapped in one place and nobody knows who's trying to kill the other. And it had spy thrower stuff. And I forget what it was, but years later, I was maybe reading about these doomsday bunkers and I was like, Oh man, if you lock the president inside one of those and then he figures out he's locked inside with a threat, you'd have a something that has kind of the the setup of like Die Hard or Air Force One or even like Aliens <laughs> or Alien, you know. <laughs> um, and it was just such a kind of like a clean high concept for a book. I thought, oh yeah, I should do that. And I filed it away and I have this enormous idea file. And when I was casting around for the next book, I said, oh, well, I'll, I'll do that because <laughs> I wanted, I um, I forget, I think I knew I was about to have a baby so I wanted a like a really straightforward book. And then Mm -hmm. I started writing it and I thought you lock them in the bunker. Everything goes down. How hard can it be? And the book was so challenging to write because (laughs) I didn't, I didn't realize how many constraints there would be. And the challenge of orienting the reader in this, um, this completely counterintuitive place, because they basically burrow tunnels into this mountain and then build a city inside the tunnels so it's um it's a fascinating place and all the buildings are mounted on springs uh to prevent them from shock so it's a fascinating place and it, it would work i think it'll work well as a movie um and in a book it took a lot of work to make sure that when the reader dropped into this unfamiliar place that it was seamless and they could, could keep track of everything and it was also just challenging to have those constraints like once you're locked in you have to have all the elements there and you need to keep track of everyone at all times so it was it was it was tough but um you know i just ground away at it and then i was uh, really happy really happy with the way it came out in the end
0: well well, you mentioned this doomsday bunker for the president what kind of research did you do for the novel. Did you talk to the secret service? Will they talk to, to novelists? What, what kind of research?
1: I did talk to the secret service. I have a friend who also writes novels. Um, and, uh, Chris Albanese. And, um, he talked to me and gave me a bunch of like the great research stuff. Um, like hairbag you know, is what you call an old detective, the, the shift whip, all this cool inside lingo that I just love. Mm-hmm. And then the main um, convenient aspect of the research was I had had in my file write a bunker book. And then my friend who just got, was a finalist for the Pulitzer, a friend of mine from college journalism, and then we worked together in DC journalism. And he's a terrific writer named Garrett Graff. Um, he wrote a book a few years ago Uh, about raven rock and it's got everything you would ever want to know not only about the raven rock facility which is fascinating but about the government's doomsday plans which includes this notion that comes up in the book that the government has kind of like secret legal documents prepared to suspend constitutional (laughs) government in the case of emergency uh, which is just fascinating thriller fodder uh so With Garrett's book, a lot of the research was already there. So I asked him a few questions. I read the book. I did a ton of kind of homework. There's very little public information available about Mm -hmm. Raven Rock as far as like the actual visual layout. There's a little bit, but there's actually photos from inside NORAD or the Cheyenne Mountain Complex. Mm -hmm. And so that actually let me get some visuals inside the place. And really helped picture it and lay it out. Interesting. Given that you that you have had best
0: selling novels, do, do you find it to be any kind of pressure when you're sitting down to to work on a new book or when you're when you're in the middle of, of writing a new book, like, oh, you know, is my editor gonna like this? Is my my
1: agent? How do how do you deal with that if it does come up? Well, that's the whole game in writing novels, um, <laughs> you know, and it's such a funny job because I was, I was shocked the first, cause my first book was uh, very successful. I was very fortunate. And then with the second book, they're like, great, just, just do that again. And we'll see you in a year. And I said, what, you know, it's not like, I don't know if you're writing a dissertation or something where you're giving chapters and you're, you know, doing outlines and there's a lot of hand holding Maybe that's how you write a dissertation. I've never done it, but I was just <laughs> surprised that they say, you know, go off, write another book and, um, we'll see you in a year. <laughs> and then when you hand it in, books are so subjective. Sometimes you'll have a book that you think is the greatest thing on earth. And then you hand it in and people are like, you know, it just didn't work. And, um, It's hard to convey how awful that feeling is. Um, And then you basically have to crash on the book and kind of rewrite it. Like I've written basically rewritten books from scratch in three months to because that's your livelihood for that year. Sure. So, um, yeah, it's a roller coaster of a job. It's something I would do even if no one paid me. Um, and that's how I got into it. I would just do it on nights and weekends, and it's it's something I do for for the joy of it, writing these things. But um, it gets very there's a lot of stresses built in when you're doing it for your living. Um, so sure. you know, it's it's really it's it's all a head game.
0: In in terms of as you said, crashing on the book or rewriting it. I mean, have you ever just thrown one out completely and just said, "Oh, I'm just going." do something completely different and try to write it in three months
1: well i've i've dramatically reworked two of the eight or nine um and as awful as it is when you hand in something and they say this doesn't work it's better than publishing something that doesn't work sure sure um and in both cases i was able to keep a lot of the elements the analogy would be like putting a new engine in a car, you know? So you might keep the basic setup of who the characters are, but instead of um, them trying to stop somebody from like rigging an election, you have them try to stop someone from, um, I can't remember what it was, like kidnapping the vice president's daughter or something. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's, it's possible to keep a lot of the character interactions and then completely change the external plot they call it so i've I've done that twice uh the book hour of the assassin i rewrote in three months straight and that was almost completely brand new and it was one of the craziest experiences of my (laughs) life because i was it was every waking moment i was working on it wow
0: So what was your original writing journey that led you to writing and getting your debut novel published?
1: Well, I was in journalism and loved writing on the side. And I had done the first kind of formal creative writing I had done was in college. And they really lead you toward literary fiction, kind of short story stuff, like in Mm -hmm. the New Yorker. And that really, it just wasn't for me. And I loved writing and then that wasn't the right fit. And so I sort of put that to side. I was fortunate to get a journalism job and I was at the Atlantic and it was a great setup. I was really lucky in that I was working kind of directly for the owner and the owner was a real Washington leading figure. And he would have people over to his house and his house was the former Cuban embassy. and I'd be at like a dinner there wondering how the heck I got there <laughs> um, with a former CIA director and a correspondent for the Times and all these interesting people. And because it was during the run-up to the Iraq War, like there would be all of this skullduggery and actual espionage in D.C. So you'd go over to drinks at your friend's house who wrote about foreign policy, and there would be people from a foreign government who wanted the U.S. to kind of put them in power in Iraq. And all of these things and just the the awe that comes from living in D.C. as a young person for the first time and seeing the embassies and the White House, all of that kind of overflowed my imagination. And I started using that as a material for this writing habit I had. And um, but that book took like eight years, nights and weekends. And I had just given it to a friend to give to a, a friend who was a literary agent. and. Later that year, I got laid off. It was the 2008 financial crisis. And two or three days after I got my notice, that friend wrote back. He had given the book to his boss, who was a very well-known literary agent. And they said, keep going. And so that sort of gave me the confidence to do it. And then I had to write a whole other book. And I had given myself a deadline of my wedding basically to see if the writing thing worked it was kind of two years of just writing in the wilderness living off of savings and a month before the wedding that second book which took nine months the first one took like seven or eight years um sold and then the film rights sold so it was really a a wonderful story in the end even though it was a, a white knuckle ride when i was in the middle of it
0: So, so did they think that your first novel, the one that took seven or eight years, uh, wasn't the right one or, um, is that why you ended up writing the second one?
1: Yes. Yes. So it, um, it was a little dated. It was, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I sort of got it. I did everything wrong you could possibly do in a book. I think, and I tried every cockamamie writing thing. So I think I wrote the most challenging scenes first so i like wrote it out of order and that didn't work and you know it was something it was a book that i'd just constantly been reworking for 8 years cuz it started as a completely kind of thing different kind of thing and then i figured out that through people's responses that the thriller elements were actually the strongest parts you know cuz when i first started i i could have been writing like thank you for smoking kind of style books that's um, almost more my personality um, to just be kind of like a, a humorous, observational guy. Right. And so I, I figured out what I was writing by rewriting that book endlessly. So it was like, I don't know, your first, if you go to the wine and painting place, you know, that first painting, <laughs> <laughs> you don't want that hanging over the mantle forever. But there right, were elements right. that people knew I had the chops. So it was a great entree to get a literary agent.
0: Well, as I mentioned in the introduction earlier, your, your novel, The Night Agent, is now a very popular Netflix series and it has been renewed for a second season. What involvement did you have with the series?
1: They were great. And a lot of authors don't have great experiences in Hollywood, so I was ready for anything and it was just a fantastic experience. So the showrunner, Sean Ryan, who I was a big fan of going into all of this, he was incredibly gracious, and he reached out to me with the script and said, you know, I wanted to make sure you like this, and, you know, it's, I, I forget what it was exactly, but um, make sure he had kind of, like, done right by the material almost. Um, and I thought, wow, it's incredibly nice of this legendary showrunner to be reaching out to me and I read it and um, I really liked it. And there is a certain, when you're an author, whenever somebody tries to change anything, you're like your initial instinct is like, no, no, it should have been like that. Cause you've just, (laughs) you've lived with the thing for so long. You know, Um, it almost seems like accepted reality. It'd be like, if somebody said, well, what if instead of going to college in Boston, you went to college in North Carolina, you'd be like, but that's not where I went to college, you know? Um, so, but I kind of put that aside because the show was so strong and the cool thing was that Sean brought half of the story in himself, the secret service arc and the vice president's daughter arc. And I love that. I kind of put aside that knee jerk writer reaction to say like, Oh, don't change anything and realized it was going to be its own thing and it was a really cool experience for me because there's a thrill that comes from seeing your work taken almost in some cases like word for word these scenes that were really meaningful to me like you know the opening call scenes in the night agent or the subway crash and and taken and you realize like they're just going to film them and take them straight. And then it's such a thrill to see your words and the things you dream up in, like, your office um, <laughs> to be dramatized and to have these amazing actors and all these talented people put them together. And at the same time, at the end of the pilot, the first episode that I was reading, there's the first element that was brand new from Sean. And I said, Holy, like, who is this? what's this and i got to experience it as a reader or a new viewer as well with the twist so it was just really cool and then i went up to set and everybody was really nice to me and it, i got to see how hard they work which is it's just absolutely astounding how hard and how many people work on these television shows and w- and it's such incredibly painstaking work and then um you know i got to go up to the premiere and that was a thrill. It was my wife and I's first uh night out since we had a baby. It was just <laughs> it was really fun, and everybody was really sweet there and I mean basically what i I had some conversations with with Sean where he was asking a little bit about the characters, and I later saw when he was interviewed that like those were helpful to him, and I saw it show up in the show so that was that was really cool. Uh, but my main attitude was I, you know I'm here to help, and i'm also happy to leave it to you and it was so nice to have such a talented showrunner who i was a fan of because i trusted him you know and it might have been a different situation if it was somebody whose initial idea i was like well you know i'm not sure or if it was somebody who um wasn't just like such an accomplished talented person and it was nice to be able to trust him and let it go and then see him absolutely deliver beyond anyone's expectations <laughs> and it turned into this like massive global thing. I think it's like Netflix top five of all time. It turned into that's, a monster. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. So I the whole thing has been <laughs> a fairy tale. And I'm like, you know, my joke is it's your typical Hollywood story. You know, <laughs> everything comes together quickly. It works out a hundred times better than you thought. And everybody's really nice. Yeah.
0: I'm not sure that's the typical. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> well, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories or novels?
1: Some of my favorite writing advice is to get away from the computer. And by that I mean it, you know, at different stages it takes different forms. But when I'm figuring out the outline of a story, I outline. I will just wander the neighborhood or go for a walk (laughs) and just let it fill in because your brain works at these mysterious deep levels that I don't think you can accomplish the same outcomes by kind of moving words around on a page. And I'll just think about the story and think about the story and then I'll come back and write it down and outline it. Um, And then at the same time or later in the process, I should say, i will when i have a scene i will just kind of walk through the neighborhood until picturing what happens in that scene until i can picture it all in my mind and then i go back to the computer and write it down and the same way if i'm stuck on some creative problem i'll go take a walk and it's nice to not be in front of the computer all day and it just i find that's like very helpful for creativity. So that's, that's one of my, my favorite bits of advice.
0: What, what novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Um,
1: let me say, I'm reading the wager right now, the David Grant. um, it's about, uh, this kind of shipwreck and mutiny. Um, I love that. I read Louis Manon, um, the free world. It's like a cultural history of the 20th century um it's really fascinating and it's hard to, i don't know i find it hard to get good recent history um uh the hillary mantle trio of books the wolf mm-hmm. hall uh, i love those um i read i think this is older daniel dennett it's from bacteria to ba- Bach and back it's just about how like consciousness works and that was totally mind-blowing and I think I forgot all of it as soon as I read it.
0: Um, <laughs> so now it's in your subconscious. Yeah. Yeah. So I
1: don't know. I just, I, I cast about pretty widely. Um, but, and then, I mean, really, the recent books I've been reading are like How to Talk So a Child Will Listen and Precious yeah. Little Sleep and all these, all these child Good luck with that. Books. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your novels?
1: Uh, I have a website, Matthewquirk.com. And, I do updates on uh, Twitter, which is just mquirk, and then on Facebook and Instagram at Matthew Quirk, author, one word. Um, so I keep up. I'm not one of like I'm not a like ten updates a day. Here's what I had yeah. for lunch, kind of guy, but um, <laughs> but I do you know keep keep tabs on things there.
0: Well, again, we've been speaking to Matthew Quirk, author of the new novel Inside Threat. The novel is available now so go buy a copy and Matthew thanks for doing this interview thanks for having me it was
1: a-
2: absolutely